The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. In 1926, a wealthy Toronto lawyer named Charles Miller died, leaving behind him a will that amused and electrified the citizens of that Canadian province that he lived in. Miller was a bachelor. He had a wicked sense of humor, and he stated clearly that he intended his last will and testament to be an uncommon and capricious document. Because he had no close heirs to inherit his fortune, he divided his money and properties in a way that amused him and aggravated his newly chosen heirs. Here's just a few examples of his strange bequest. Listen to this. He's mean as a junkyard dog. Listen to this. He left shares in the Ontario Jockey Club to two prominent men who were well known for their opposition to racetrack betting. (laughs) He bequeathed shares in the O'Keefe Brewery Company, that's a beer company, folks, to every Protestant minister in Toronto. (laughs) But his most famous bequest was that he would leave his fortune to the Toronto woman who gave birth to the most children in 10 years after his death. So the race was on. The last clause in his will caught the public fancy concerning the woman who produced the most children before 1936. And the country was entering the Great Depression. And as people struggled to meet even their most basic economic responsibility, the prospect of an enormous windfall was naturally quite alluring to a lot of people. Newspaper reporters scoured the public records to find likely contenders for what became known as the Great Stork Derby. (laughs) Nationwide excitement escalated. And in 1936, folks, four women, proud producers of nine children apiece, in a 10-year time span, Lord God help those women, 36 kids, divided up the Miller fortune, each receiving what was a staggering sum in those days of $125,000 apiece. Charles Miller caused much mischief with his will. That was his final legacy to humanity. Let's talk about legacies for a moment. When Jesus left this earth, he bequeathed a legacy to his followers. John 16 and 13 in New King James reads like this. Put it on the screen. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will tell you things to come. He will tell you things that are to come. There is a scripture in the Bible that has a lot of people concerned about the only unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why that scripture is in the Bible. Very common, very West Texas. Let me just share it to you and just break it down right now. It's there because the father of all creation created this enormous, fabulous earth, put the moon in place, the sun, the stars. I think he did a pretty good job, don't you? And then when Jesus came, the Son of God, what did he do? He redeemed us from this world of sin. He went to a cross, died to save us. Aren't you glad that Jesus did a wonderful thing for us? But now we've got this Holy Spirit to deal with. And this Holy Spirit is a a part of what we need to get a hold of because since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's day is now. 
And he is working in this world to save and to fill as many as he can fill with his power and his glory. But the reason that the Holy Spirit, when you denounce it, when you say it's not legible, it's not right, it's not purposeful. When you deny the Holy Ghost, when you do that, what it says is it's the unpardonable sin. And it's the unpardonable sin because simply it's this, it's the last train out. There's not anything else coming. The Father created, the Son redeemed, the Holy Ghost emancipates. It's the last train out. So I'm teaching tonight on this Holy Spirit power because it's the last train out. There's not anything else coming. And if you accept what the Father did, if you accept what the Son did, why don't you accept what the Holy Ghost wants to do for you? It's the last train out. It's the last train out. You can speak against his name, but don't you speak against the Holy Ghost, he said. He left his Holy Ghost to comfort and to guide and to empower them to be all that God had called them to be. So tonight, I celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. I celebrate it on this church and in this church. Anybody want to join in with me? Clap your hands real big. Joel said, Joel said in the last day, the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, upon sons, upon daughters, upon servants. Upon handmaids. Notice he did not say God would pour his spirit in all men. But I believe that sometime in life all men will encounter the Holy Spirit. There's a story in Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. In fact, that's going to be my setting for my message today. I'm not going to stop and read it because it takes just a little bit too much time. But if you want to go home tonight and read Luke 6, 1 through 11, that's where I'm going to be teaching from tonight. Luke 6, 1 through 5 and Luke 6, 6 through 11. The Bible talks about disciples eating corn on the Sabbath with unwashed hands. And the Pharisees complained. And so... When the Pharisees complained, Jesus spake of David, King David, eating showbread, bread meant for the priest, giving it to his men. You know why David did that? Because they were hungry. Everybody say they were hungry. Jesus seems to be saying in a veiled way, my disciples are hungry and you're fussing at them because they're eating this corn right off the stalk and they're using their hands to get the silks off the corn and their hands are not washed. But he's saying in essence, I don't care what tradition says. I don't care what your traditions hold. When somebody gets hungry, hunger always trumps tradition. I don't care what churches have said about the Holy Spirit. That it's not, it's not a matter anymore. It doesn't count any longer. But listen, when somebody gets hungry, hunger always trumps Tradition. And it doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter what sign is over your head. When you get hungry enough, there is a God that I know that will fill you with the Holy Spirit from the top of your head to the soles of your feet because hunger, hunger cannot be stopped by tradition. In fact, I'll put it on the screen. You can put it on your refrigerator. No tradition is stronger than hunger. But hunger is always stronger than any tradition. The Sabbath days do not quiet hunger. Pharisee laws do not hinder eating corn with unwashed hands. Let me say something to everybody. God will never embarrass you. And this church will never embarrass you either. 
I've been pastor here 27 years and I am not an embarrassing preacher, but I will declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want everybody to have the very best that God has for them. I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to be washed in the blood of the lamb. I want everybody to be water baptized because Jesus was baptized. And he that knew no sin, if he was baptized, and why can't I that have known sin in my life be water baptized? But if you desire for hunger after the things of God, you shall be filled. Everybody say, God's a gentleman. He will not force himself on anyone. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came, and this really was just a feast day in Israel. But on this day in the second chapter of Acts, the disciples were together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound. The Spirit of God always has a sound, like a rushing wind. And it came from heaven and filled the whole house. And the disciples had gone to an upper room. Now that room had parameters, but it had no roof. They were in an open roof, open air concept. God said, I will pour out my spirit, but I will not go through any man-made thing to get to my people. And the disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. It's in your Bible. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Also gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost celebration were devout Jews from many nations. And when they heard, in fact, there were 17 nations that had come. When they heard the commotion, a crowd of them became together in bewilderment because each one heard the disciples speaking in his own language. And they were utterly amazed and they asked. Let me preach, honey. Let me preach. Thank you. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? So. They said, are these men speaking, aren't they all Galileans? In other words, when you said Galileans, you said the ignorant ones. You said the ignorant ones. He said, aren't they all Galileans? And they were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? But some, however, made fun of the disciples and said, they have too much wine. And at this point, Simon addresses the crowd and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. (laughs) They may be a little tipsy, but not as you suppose. Because it's just nine o'clock in the morning and we're not morning drinkers. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And the day of Pentecost, folks, now you got to get this, was the birth of the church of the New Testament. And what did God do? What did the Holy Spirit do? It came and filled the whole house. And all 120 were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they spake with other languages. And the reason I know that is because that word other is a different word than the word unknown in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. It's other tongues. When they received the Holy Spirit, there was somebody there to hear them speaking because tongues are not a sign to them that believe, but it's a sign to them that believe not. And here's what I want to tell you. When the Holy Ghost came upon those people, when it came upon those people, there were Cretans and Phoenicians and Mede people and all these people from Crete and all these folks had gathered around and they say they speak a language that we understand and yet they're ignorant and unlearned. But when the Holy Ghost came on them, 
They begin to speak a language that everybody from their own nationality could understand. You know what it was? It was saying, hey, this is that, guys. This is it. This is the real deal. My wife was a part of a, of a, of a youth group that went down to Colombia in South America several years ago. And there was an altar appeal given and people came down and gave their hearts to the Lord. And there was an old woman that came that was about 80 years old that came down to the front to receive the Lord in her life. And as the, as the, as the altar service went on, she raised her hands and began to say simply, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation in my life. Thank you. And my wife turned to one of the, one of the ministers and says, does she know English? And they went to the man and said, she is an ignorant and unlearned lady. And here she is speaking a beautiful dialect of the English language, saying, I love you, Jesus. And you know what it did to my wife? It made my wife believe that no matter whatever happens in life, she heard an unlearned, unknown woman from Columbia receive the Holy Spirit and speak in a language that she could understand because it was the gift of the Holy Ghost in her life. Folks, I don't make this up. I just preach it. Now, let me talk to you. Before Pentecost, the disciples had been a ragtag crew of well-meaning but ineffectual followers. After Pentecost, these same disciples became powerful witnesses that it was said of one of the disciples, Simon Peter, that his mere shadow passing physically over distressed people would bring healing. Before Pentecost, the disciples were fearful, fickle followers who could not be depended upon, even to stay awake while their master was praying. After Pentecost, they were willing to face persecution, even surrender themselves to torture and death in order to testify that this same master had been raised from the dead. Before Pentecost, they were pathetic, listless, and introverted. After Pentecost, they were filled with power, spirit power, and they went out to win the world. And in fact, in Acts 4, they said, these men have turned the world upside down. Twelve men. In the Old Testament, people possessed the land. After Pentecost, the Lord possessed them. In the Old Testament, people drew water from the land. In the New Testament, after Pentecost, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. In the Old Testament, people grew fruit from the land. After Pentecost, today we are known by our fruit. Amen. After Pentecost, it's no longer important for us to inhabit the land, but it is important for God to inhabit us. And that's Christ's legacy in this world, a spirit-filled church. Clap your hands and thank God that the spirit of God is still alive in the church today. Amen. Amen. I read something not long ago about a baseball player named Rex Hurricane Hudler. I used to like Rex Hudler. He, he was released from the San Francisco Giants several years ago. And after Hudler batted 238 in spring training, he said, I was downgraded, he said, from a hurricane to a tropical depression. <laughs> God has called this church to be a wind to this world. God's called this church to be a Holy Ghost place for this world. We must not be downgraded to a tropical depression. The story is told of an employee who did so little work that he was fired. A friend came to the boss and said, I want to apply for the vacancy that Joe left when he left here. And the boss replied, Joe did so little he didn't leave a vacancy. <laughs> that could be said of some churches. If they disappeared, they wouldn't leave a vacancy. Because they've never given anything to the people except man-made theologies. 
A certain man was overheard to say, I was making 10000 or $100,000 a year, had 75 people under me, a condo in Aspen, and was being considered for the Senate of the United States. Then I switched to decaffeinated coffee. <laughs> Christianity without an emphasis on the Holy Ghost is like faith on decaffeinated coffee. I believe that the Jesus I preach about can still do anything for anybody at any time, anywhere, because he is the God of all. And the Holy Ghost is still active in this world today. Amen. Several years ago up in Notre Dame University, yeah, that university, Notre Dame, some of the some of the philosophers and teachers were talking and they got into Bible studies and they got to talking about this Holy Spirit. And it, it brought such a, a discord to Notre Dame <laughs> because one day in a class, a professor said, you know what? Wouldn't it be neat if what happened on the day of Pentecost happened again? And all of a sudden a wind kind of blew into that place they felt a little breeze and some of those Notre Dame students stood to their feet and God baptized them with the Holy Ghost. It's true. You can, you can look it up. And they received the Holy Ghost and it became such a widespread thing. They had to douse it out because they can't have people in this university receiving the Holy Spirit. And so what, what happened from there, people started getting closet experiences. And then you see movies like War Room <laughs> and you realize you can go in that closet of prayer. And if you don't watch it, you get hungry enough, God's going to baptize you with something you didn't think you'd ever get walking in that closet. Because he will never despise hunger. He'll never cast down hunger. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. That's just the word of God. And when you get hungry enough, God will baptize you with the spirit of God. So there's a lot of closet spirit-filled people today. And I love it. It's going to be a shocking thing one day. When some of these churches that's never preached on the baptism of the Spirit see people in their own congregation just go up through the roof and the rapture takes them out of here. Because God's Spirit is alive and well on planet earth. A faith that is only intellectual and rational without any trace of enthusiasm is not a faith that empowers people to live out their faith. George Knowles in his book A World to Love tells of a party of explorers who found themselves perplexed by something they found in a remote African jungle. In a clearing, they discovered 35 carefully laid fires that had never been lit. They had the appearance of 35 little teepees with dry leaves surrounded by small dry twigs. And finally, a larger piece of wood arranged in a good Boy Scout fashion. Who built those fires, they thought? Who had not even, who had not even been lit? They hadn't even lit those fires, but they built them. The mystery cleared up when the explorers saw dozens of chimpanzees watching from the trees. The chimps had watched campers and copied the art of fire building. But they had no fire. They didn't know how to strike the match. God help the church today. We've been trained in fire building. But many churches have no fire. Because somebody's got to strike a match. And it usually starts in the pulpit. And I have brought a kerosene lamp today. And I brought a fire starter today. I do not want this church to go the way of all churches that I know that do not still promote the spirit of the Holy Ghost in our lives and our hearts. I want this church to always entertain. Come on, help me right now. It's time to clap. Always love, always dream, always believe. 
that the Holy Ghost is with us, that the Spirit of God is on us, that there's power in the Holy Ghost, that there's comfort in the Holy Ghost, that there's strength in the Holy Ghost. There's a growing recognition that faith must involve the head and the heart, not just decision, but the burning of the Spirit. The 20th century showed a decline in the emphasis of the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches. It also showed a steady decline in membership of mainline churches. It's true. 3,000 churches close every year because the Holy Spirit's not welcome. I put in my notes. I started singing this today and I got to crying. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our heart longs for. To be overwhelmed by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I stand as Moses stood on a mountain one day and said, Lord, I don't care about the houses. I don't care about the vineyards. I don't care about none of that stuff. I don't care about those wells that are digged. He said, I, I want your presence. The thing that I want, I think the only thing, folks, that will change people's lives is the Spirit of God coming into their hearts. And filling them over to overflowing. Amen. The Bible, the Bible speaks about when a spirit is cast out of a house or a spirit cast out of a, of a situation. He goes and tries to find a dry place to put his foot. You know why the devil wants to put his foot on a dry place? Because he hates water. The devil hates water. I can prove that. That's another sermon. But if you don't find a dry place, the Bible said he comes back to the house. And if that house is not filled... He will bring seven spirits worse than him back in that house. It behooves us that when the spirit is cast out, when unbelief, when fear, and when, when habits and Satan is cast out of our lives, it behooves us to fill our hearts and our lives with something greater than just our own will. That's when the spirit of God needs to come in and fill that house to overflowing. So when hell comes back, he can't even knock on the door because something's inside. Something's inside. Uh, something's inside the house. Mm. A few years back on a news special titled In the Name of God, Peter Jennings interviewed the founder of the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, a man named John Wimber, and I've read in some of Wimber's books. Wimber's a great writer. And Wimber said the first time he went to church, he expected dramatic things to happen. I don't preach long. I hope I'm preaching decent. He expected th great things to happen. After attending three Sundays, he was frustrated. He said, following the third service, after I went the third time, he talked to an official-looking man and, and asked him this, when do they do it? And the man said, do what? And Wimber said, the stuff. And the man said, what stuff? And Wimber said, he held up his Bible, said, the stuff in this Bible. What do you mean, said the man? You know, multiplying loaves and fishes and feeding the hungry and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and raising up people. <laughs> that stuff. Oh, the man said apologetically, we don't do that. We believe in it. We pray about it, but we don't do it. Oops. Do we still have that stuff in our church? I want to declare, I want to declare, and this is not a boast, but I want to declare when I became pastor of this church 27 years ago, I promised God that I would be led by the Holy Ghost. This would be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. 
it would not, it would not be stupid. It would not be ignorant, but it'd be a spirit filled and spirit led church because I know some people who take that to such a level and such a degree that it becomes a flesh thing instead of a spirit led thing. But I thank God that God has given this church a balance that understand that it's not by might. It's not by our power, but it's by his spirit. And when we still release it to him tonight, every Sunday and tonight, I walk by a little picture of a, of, a, of, a, of a little girl, eight years old named Akiani that painted of Jesus Christ. And I got that picture as a gift from one of my buddies that died early of, of cancer. And I got it in my office. And every, every time I walk by, I'm not an idol worshiper, but I look at that picture and I say, Jesus, I've never seen you in person. But I want to tell you that I'm resigning this church to you again tonight. This is not my church. This is your church. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this church. Baptize people. Heal people. Feel people. Lift people. Bless people. Why don't we clap our hands real big? It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. The great preacher Vance Havner. When I was a young man, I used to read Vance Havner all the time. I don't even know what denomination he was, but he was a powerful writer. And as a young man, I said, I want to be like Vance Havner someday. He was preaching on a passage from Joel 2 and 17. And in his story, in the story, the Israelites are not living as God's chosen people. And their faith seems to lack any power. And pagan peoples around them look at their religious ceremonies and sneer, where is their God? And Havner believed this message hit too close to home for most modern Christian churches. And he said there ought to be enough divine electricity in every church to give everybody in the congregation either a charge or a shock. I love it. What do you mean by singing onward Christian soldier when most of your army has deserted? I agree with Joel chapter 2 and verse 17. I want to read it to you. Put it on the screen. Joel 2. Let the priest... The ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare the people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Sunday when I saw 80 salvations in this church, I couldn't help but weep because I understood how hungry people are. For just a touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. A woman with an issue of blood for 12 years said, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And she did and she was. And I believe one touch of the, of the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ can heal people. And we still believe in this church in divine healing. We still believe if there's any sick among you, James 5 said, let them call for the elders of the church. And let them anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed any sin, it shall be forgiven them. And let me stop here. That's God's way of tricking you into his blessing. Because you come for healing and God forgives your sin. I love it. 
So that's why I give altar calls sometimes to anybody want a healing in their body. Because I know when you come and God starts healing you, he said, I got something else to give you to. I'm going to forgive your sin. Isn't it amazing that God likes to trick us into believing that he's forgiven? I mean, he's, he's healing your body, but at the same time, he's forgiving you your sin. Every time I read that, I say, way to go, God. Way to throw a curve at people. Because it doesn't matter what you come for. God's going to forgive your sin. He's going to wash you white as snow because his blood still cleanses from all sin and all unrighteousness. He went on to say, I'm embarrassed when pagans walk by our empty churches looking on our feeble ceremonies, see us swapping members from church to church, moving corpses from one mortician to another, (laughs) preaching a dynamite gospel, living firecracker lives. That's Vance Havner. I want to be like him. Oh, God, give me the spirit of the disciples in the cornfield. Let me not worry about tradition. Let me be hungry enough to rub corn on Sunday and eat what you have for me. Let me not be intimidated. And don't let me make the Holy Spirit a silent third party. Lord, don't let the denominal side rob us of the phenomenal side of the book of Acts. Why don't we just clap our hands and say amen to that right there. I want to confess something to you and I'm not far from closing. I don't preach long. A little longer tonight than normal. But next week I'm going to talk about the wind and the power of the wind. It's a it's one of my sugar sticks. I love to talk about the wind. The first thing the Lord ever compared the Holy Spirit to was the wind. It's been compared to fire. It's been compared to oil. It's been compared to water. But the Lord called it wind. And he called it wind on purpose. I confess, I look at my own life as a pastor and think of the times I could have perhaps been a bolder witness for Christ. But see, I don't, I don't like conflict. I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. I don't want people to feel second rate. I want our church to be a happy place. And I want people to really like me. But we as a church are just scratching the surface of what we could be as a congregation if all of us yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit. All of us. All of us. There are people in our community who need what the church has to offer. I like something Robert Schuler said, wrote in an introduction in one of his books. He said, how much is a sprinkler head worth? He said, it all depends. Not much on a shelf in a hardware store. But attach it to a water line, it'll bring life to plants and flowers and fruit and feeding the human race. It's life and death. They're all in a sprinkler head. How much is a pen worth? It all depends whose hand holds it and what that hand does with it. What is a human being worth anyway? It all depends. A disconnected human's life is a waste, but one connected to Jesus Christ. We must recover our connection to the spirit of Jesus. Next week I will preach on the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from nor where it's going. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Now let me close. Let me close. Luke 6, verse 6 through 11 now. Let me close with the story of the man in the, with the withered hand. It follows the story of the disciples eating with hunger hearts, hunger in their hearts. It's another Sabbath. This story follows the disciples in the cornfield. The first depicts abject hunger. The second depicts a man wanting power in his life. The word says it was his right hand that was withered, depicting he had lost his power, the right hand of power. 
Jesus asked him to come and stand in the middle of the room and stretch forth his hand. And in a room full of scoffers and tradition and people who did not understand, he steps forward and he lifts up that hand and stretches it and it's made whole. The power returns. It's restored. Some people are scared to death of this thing called the Holy Spirit. It's like some mystery, some magic, some voodoo. In fact, every movie from Hollywood that deals with spirit today brings fear and many times death in it. The Holy Spirit is joy and it is life. Because it was not concocted in Hollywood, but it came from heaven. Amen. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid of the language of the Holy Spirit. Step forward and watch God do a work in your life. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what's coming out of you. Just come with hunger and no fear. Brother Randy, if you'll help me. I close with, I close with two little illustrations. God spoke this to my heart several, several weeks ago. I'm going to share it with you. I've done several funerals in my ministry, in my pastorate, several funerals. And I, 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 I hate funerals, especially those that I know. Some people I don't know, it's a little easier, but it's always hard. Passing of people is so tough. I'd much rather do a wedding any day. But when loved ones depart, the things that come out of the mouths of people who lose loved ones is inarticulate. It is, it is words Sometimes are muddled with tears. I hate to say it, but stuff running out of your nose. And you're just weeping and sobbing and crying. And you start saying things. And you don't offer a cerebral response to that pain. It's guttural. It's broken. And it's hard to ascertain. Yet funeral directors know all too well what's happening. They don't call a psychiatrist. They don't try to give somebody a drug. They understand death before. For they have seen it before and experienced it before because it's death. And by the same token, I went to my little daughter today that works for me. She's our office manager and she's the only office person that I kiss. I love my kids. When that child was born, when Misty was born in 1974, What's the matter with that? Is that a bad thing? She's 42. But when she was born, my wife was in 21 and a half hours of labor. And the doctor refused to do a C-section. And they came in to me. We couldn't go into the hospital at that time. They came back to me and they said, Mr. Johnson, we're going to do our best to save your wife, but we'll probably may not save the baby. And I had a few ministers there with me. It's out in Abilene, Texas. And I'll never forget it. Never. I, I got down on my knees in that waiting room. And I said, God, let them both live, please. And in a little while, the doctor came out and said, Mr. Johnson, you have a beautiful baby girl. And I lost it. From hearing I might lose her to hearing that she's there, I started babbling and blubbering. And my tongue could not express what I was feeling. 
I was trying to express joy because I was happy, but there's no words coming out. It was just, oh, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. How much more so is it when the death is mine and the new life is also mine? When I die to the sins of this world, ah, 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 oh, and then all of a sudden, that's all gone, and salvation's come, and then I raise up, and I've got a new life, and I'm walking toward a new day, and I've made a U-turn in my life. Pardon me, but my nose is running right now. I've got a new turn in my life and all of a sudden I've got this joy that's unspeakable. I've been born again. And the Holy Spirit is there saying, you want some of me? And I said, put it on me, put it on me. And he fills me. He fills me. He fills me. To overflowing. There's nothing like dying to the old man and turning and walking toward a new day. The language sometimes is not easy to understand. It's hard to articulate how that feels, but it sure feels good when it's happening. So I'm asking you tonight, you that are interested in the baptism of the Spirit, listen to me, listen to me. Don't be afraid of the sound. Don't be afraid of the sound. It's going to come from heaven. It's not going to come from Hollywood, not going to come from hell. It's going to come from heaven. The Holy Spirit's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. I want you to stand all over the room here with me tonight. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for Holy Spirit power. Thank you for it. Thank you for Holy Spirit power tonight. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome God. I love you, Holy Spirit. I love you. I love you. I'm so glad that God gave us such peace and joy as the last train out of this world. I'm so happy. That the last train out is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I'm so happy that we can have righteousness and peace and joy. We can have all three of them by the baptism of the Spirit. I want you to raise your hands all over the building. Everybody in the house. Everybody in the house. I'm not going to embarrass you. I never would embarrass anybody. I don't embarrass people. I don't do that. But you raise your hands all over the house. And I want you to say, Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt. That you have rescued my life. You have brought me from destruction to delight. From death to life. And you have healed me of all my infirmities and the things that would have destroyed me in the past. And I stand here today. Washed in the blood. Hallelujah. Forgiven. 
redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, this pastor up there has told me that the Holy Spirit wants to fill my life. And he's just, he's just simple enough to believe that I can have the experience of the Holy Ghost in my life. Now, Lord, I'd like to have that. If I hadn't received, I'd like to have that, Lord. So I'm going to yield myself to you right now. And I'm going to praise you from the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul. I'm going to magnify you. And I'm going to believe that the Holy Ghost, that righteousness and peace and joy are going to come into my life in this service tonight. Would you praise him now with your own tongue? Come on. Praise him with your own tongue. Praise him with your own tongue. Come on. Let the Holy Ghost do a work in you right now. Come on, praise him. Praise him, balcony. Praise him, bottom floor. Come on, open your mouth wide. Open your mouth wide. Open your mouth wide and praise him right now. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Oh, I hear the Holy Ghost right now. I hear the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, praise Him. Praise Him all over this house. Praise Him all over this house. Praise Him all over this house. It's a joy. Come on, it's a joy. 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 Come on, it's a joy. It's a joy. Receive the joy of the Lord. Receive the joy of the Lord. Receive the peace that passes understanding. Receive the promise of God. Receive it in your life tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Come on. Come on. Keep praising Him. Keep praising Him. Come on. Keep praising Him. We're going to praise Him a little while here. We're going to praise Him a little while here. Come on. Keep praising Him. Keep praising Him. Keep praising Him tonight. 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 Come on, keep praising Him. Just a little longer. Keep praising Him. He's in this house. He's in this house. He's in this house right now. He's in this house right now. It's not euphoria. It's not emotion. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's in this house right now. He's in this house right now. Hallelujah. 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 By your presence. Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God. To be overcome. Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It's just a hungry heart that wants something on the Sabbath, wants something in their soul, 
Hunger always trumps tradition. And the man with the withered hand was restored to power in his life. God wants to give you the power of the Holy Ghost tonight. The Spirit of the Holy Ghost is in this house. The Spirit of God is in this house. The Spirit, He is in this house right now. He's in this house. Because when you preach about it, it happens. And the Lord is in His house right now. He's in His house. Amen. Bow your heads just a moment. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Here's what I want you to do before I pray. I want you to go home and I want you to proof text everything I've said. I want you to proof text it. I did not preach the gospel with emotion tonight. I preached it with fervor, yes, but not with emotion. Because I wanted to bring to you the pure gospel of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. The Spirit is in this house. And it will continue to be in this house because the Spirit of God will move. Who will let it? We're going to let the Spirit of God move in this house. Amen. Now I want you to go home. I had a, I had a young man in Dallas, Texas years ago that doubted what I preached about the Holy Spirit. I've never been one to force people because it's not second class and first class. It's not that with me. It's just that, and next week I'm going to go into it. It's just the power that God wants you to have in your life. It's just that dunamis, that power that he wants you to have. That, that power that hell says, good night, get me out of here. I can't handle this child of God. I can't handle him. And so this young man went home. When he laid down, he said, Lord, if the Holy Spirit is real, let me know on the job. Let me know in my car. Let me know in a day or two that it's real. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, the Lord woke him up and he sat up straight in his bed and was filled with the baptism of the Spirit. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're not hungry, don't worry about it. He's not going to force himself on you. And this pastor's not going to force it on you. But when you get hungry, it'll trump tradition. Amen. Dear Father, I love you tonight. And I thank you for Holy Spirit power. I thank you because you have sent him. That he is here. And when that spirit of truth comes, he will lead, he will guide into all truth. And he's in this house. And he's here to comfort. He's here to give power. He's here to guide. He's here to provide. He's here to heal. Now bless this congregation. Bless those that heard the word tonight. Let us leave here rejoicing in the fact that somebody still believes that you're doing a work in the last day. And that the presence of God still abides in lives and in hearts. God, thank you for every person that's ever received you in their life. Thank you for everybody that's ever called you Lord in their life. But God, if they haven't experienced this wonderful passion of the presence of God, let it happen. Let it unfold. And bless these people as we come back Sunday morning. And I feel like before they come back Sunday, a lot of them's going to be filled with your power. They're going to go to that war room and say, God, I'm here. Put it on me. And God's going to put it on them. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and for your glory. Clap your hands real big one more time. Amen. Amen.